Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Many years ago, listen to this story. Many years ago, a writer came across some soldiers who were trying to move a heavy log without success. The corporal was standing by as the men struggled. The writer asked the corporal why he, why he wasn't helping. The corporal replied, Oh, I'm the corporal. I get orders. The rider dismounted, went up and stood by the soldiers, and as they were lifting the log, he helped them. With his help, the log got moved. The rider quietly mounted his horse and went to the corporal and said, Next time you may need help, Sent for the commander-in-chief. After he left, the corporal and his men found that the rider was George Washington. Think about it. The little corporal, in his prideful attitude, and the general, the men in whole power of the American army at that time, he helped to move the line. What a contrast. What a difference. Today I was very inspired by Pastor Murray's message, the last Last of his two messages, actually, but especially the one he gave last week here when we were talking about pride, how pride is in the Bible from the beginning all the way to the end. And you know, antidote to pride is humility. So I want to spend some time today, brethren, just talk about humility, and specifically, we'll go later to the New Testament, we'll see how Christ, over and over again, had to teach his disciples and show them how to overcome the sickness which we call pride. But before we go there, we know that we are in the beginning point of this whole festival. And there is some lessons that we can learn from the past, especially from the Old Testament. And I want you to go to Numbers, Numbers chapter 13, the first scriptures of today. And I will show you what happened at exactly thousands of years ago, at this time, what happened back then. Numbers chapter 13, and right here in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm, going, which, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. From each, from each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. So Moses sent, from, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the, all of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. So that was the task. And as we read this story, it specifically it says the Lord commanded Moses. But we'll come to this a little bit later. But if you skip down to verse 17, and look what happened. All the spies, they sent them when they came back. Then Moses sent them to the spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the city they inhabit are like camps or are strongholds. Verse 20, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are fortresses, forests there or not, be of good courage, and bring some of the fruits of the land. And I don't know which Bible we have. 
But in my Bible it says, so we're not confused, at what time of year this event happened. Because it's mentioned right here. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So technically speaking, the children of Israel, starting from Passover, they should enter the promised land right at the Feast of Tabernacles. And God's holiday is exactly prophetic God's timing to show us where we are in God's salvation process along the way. So they were supposed to enter that at the Feast of, of Tabernacle, and they just refused to enter it. I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Because we need to clarify something. From reading this scripture, we would, we would think we would concluded that it was actually God who ordered them to go and explore the land. But it's actually not true. If we go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, which is about 40 years later, which is another generation ready to try to enter the land. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse... 22. And look at that. The same event. 22. And every one of you came near to me and said. Look at the difference now. Let us send men before us. And let them search out the land for us. And bring back, and bring back word to us. Of the which we should go up. And of the cities into which we shall come. So the plan pleased me well. So I took 12 of your men. One man from each tribe. And they departed and went up to the mountains. And you know the same story. What's the difference? When you think really about it, God had a wonderful plan before. Did he really need to send somebody to search the land before all the children walk in? No, he didn't need to because he knew exactly what was was awaiting them there. People wanted to do this thing. And as a result of this thing, they brought the report which basically destroyed their future. And let me tell you, Something, if you go to the end of this book, Deuteronomy, at the end of the chapter, we could see the reason why did it happen. It's on one hand that because people failed, and on the other hand, because it's, it was a divine plan of God. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Look at these words. Verse 1. Thus the next generations, which are going to cross into the promised land, but this time, they will cross the promised land, not in the Feast of Tabernacle. They will do it from the beginning. They will cross the land of the Feast of Passover. They will have to start everything all over again. And some people are wondering, when the Jews have two calendars? That's one of the reasons why. Everything got confused by six months later. So they have this religious calendar and a civic calendar, which takes roots from all this time here. That's very interesting. But verse 1. God says, this is, Moses is right here. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab. It's not Sinai anymore. In the land of Moab. It's us. Besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Everything adding now together. And now Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. Really, did the next generation, did they remember everything that happened in Egypt? That was the next generation. Some of them, probably yes. But many of them, new were born into this nation. Verse 3. The great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Verse 4. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear 
to this very day. Because God had a great plan in mind. Skip down to verse 14. And read the words carefully, what it says here. It's very interesting. I will make this covenant and this oath not with you alone. Keep reading. But with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God. And as well as with him who is not here with us today. You see how he's going to pronounce this covenant? And this covenant, young people, is not just based on, if you do this, I will do this. God says, on my oath. What oath? We have to go all the way back to Abraham. God still remembers the first covenant that he made with Abraham, which says, I will bless all nations through your seed. That's God's plan. And you know, we will see like, what is oath? Go to Numbers chapter 14. There is a wonderful verse there. Good news preached in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 14. It is the same story. They brought the bad report. God is ready to wipe out the entire nation, except Moses, okay? And Moses reminds God of his covenant. And look what God says in verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. And verse 21, look what God says, what he promised, and what he's going to accomplish. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. It's not just the nation of Israel. He says, the all earth will be filled with the glory of Israel. And brethren, that's what is awaiting for all of us. Eventually, what is, you know, portrayed in the piece of tabernacle at the end of it. But, when you have all this knowledge... It's a wonderful, it's a great thing. It's blessing my heart so much. But you know, at the same time, people with all this knowledge, we can be very prideful. And we have examples from the past. We can be very prideful about it. So you see, look at all this, if I can call Christian world, Christianity is around us. Just a few of us have this precious knowledge we can fully understand what the covenants were all about. What was done away, what was not done away. Other Christianity just living in confusion. And it's okay. That's how God planned all this together. A long time ago. But you see, it's also a great blessing to, like, you know, it was a great pleasure today to see our young people telling the story of the Bible. And, you know, there are many adults in the church warming the seeds for years and they would get lost in the story of the Bible and I was so proud I was sitting and watching them I was so proud of them how they were able to point some you know some details of the Bible like landing I was shocked you know some stories some names some king's names you know it's great it's wonderful it means that as much as we think they don't listen the half hour that they spend each Sabbath with them they do listen they do listen probably more than we do on some occasion. So, what I want to do, we'll go to the New Testament, we'll go to some gospel stories, I'll show you how this great sin that we call pride, how Jesus was trying to teach his disciples how to overcome it, okay? Speaking about this great knowledge that we have, go to 1 Corinthians, okay? 
Corinthians was a troubled church, we all know that. And they had all this great story, of the great knowledge about what happened. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, First Corinthians chapter 8, in right here in verse 1. Paul is addressing a specific issues here. But he has a broad application. He says, now concerning things offered to idols. Okay? We know that we all have knowledge. We all have great knowledge. But knowledge by itself pops up. But love with knowledge is the ingredients that edify one another. And he says, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. What Paul means by that? Skip down, skip down to verse 11. And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish from whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the, against the brethren and wound, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So we may have this great knowledge. We may have a wonderful, you know, revelations from the scripture. And we just ignore our brothers and sisters because we think they are not up to date. Or they are not at the same spiritual level that we are. This knowledge that you have in your heart, in your, in your mind, it's useless. Because it's not edifying to your brother, it's not edifying to your sister. If you make one of your sister or brother sin because of your knowledge, then sorry for you and for all of us. But you see, any knowledge of life with wrong intentions leads, leads us nowhere. Any knowledge with love edifies and strengthens the church. So, let's talk about humility. Let's talk about pride. Let's look at the sin of pride. And you know, it's a wonderful blessing to have these little congregations in Bolivia. We're just starting up. You know, Church of God used to be a huge organization. Now we just meet with a group of little 20, 30 people is all over the place, all over North America. But, just before we go there, let me read you a story. I don't know if you hear about the balloon game. Robert Roberts, he reported a story about the balloon games. Have you heard about it? That's great. So, they perform a little experiment at elementary school, great for children. So, in one class, he gets the balloons, he, he pumped them up, and he attached one balloon to each child's life. And he said then, the purpose of this game is that they, what they have to do, the object of this game was to pop everyone else's balloon by protecting one's own. That was the purpose of the game. You have to protect your own balloons, which is tied to your leg. At the same time, you have to pop up all the other balloons. So the whole game lasted about just a few seconds. Everybody ran around, some people tried to hide in the corner and protected the balloons, but it didn't work. You know, people tried to hide under the chairs, under the tables, it didn't work. Guess who was the winner at the end? The most disliked person in the class. The bully of the class. He was the biggest, he was the strongest, he was the more powerful. He overcame all the other children. The same experiment, at the same age level, was performed in a different class. With a handicapped child. The same instructions were went with read to them. And they said, ready, steady, go. There was no rush. 
So the instructor thought that maybe children, because they were handicapped children, maybe they didn't get instructions right. What they were doing, they understood that the purpose of the story, of the game, was just to pop the balloons. So one was holding balloon for the other person, the other person just stamped on the balloon, they switched their role, the other person. The game lasted, the game lasted about 10 minutes. In the end, they finished the game, they were all clapping. Everybody was a winner. You see the difference? So sometimes I'm wondering, as a church brethren, in which group we are. In the first class, in the first class with the four graders, or in the other one? Because we see sometimes the people, handicapped people, we sometimes see them that, you know, their mind is fully away from our capability, what we can do. And maybe you've got the reverse thing. Maybe they know something, and they live their lives in a way that we have no even clue how to do that. See, in our society, it's always the winner, the one who is at the top. And one who gets to the top will do everything to stay on the top as long as possible. And you know, you, you can see this at your workplace, you can see it everywhere. So, brother, let's go and see what we can learn from the New Testament today. See, when Jesus was walking, throughout the Judah with his disciples and he noticed that they were suffering from the same sickness that you know all humankind suffers we know from the Bible as, as Pastor Murray alluded to last, last week this horrible sin of pride which ruins everything along the way so if you go to Luke chapter 9 Luke said you know kind of like Christ is not lying to them. He set them straight through their eyes. That you know, it's difficult to follow. It's very difficult. He's not making any jokes. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, very simple, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He was not making jokes around. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit it is to a man if he gains the whole world and, and is himself destroyed or lost? So, is it possible for us here this church at this age, is it possible for us individually to destroy this dreadful sin of pride? Is it possible for us human beings at this stage to get rid of pride? I think it's hard. I think that as long as we live in this flesh, this corrupt flesh, we'll still have some pride in us no matter what. How much we say we Christians, we'll still have some pride hidden somewhere in our hearts, in our corners. But, we should find a way to overcome. And Jesus warns to other scriptures, if you're not going to do that, what's going to happen to all of us? Luke chapter 9 at the beginning. You know, when you look, you don't have to, you don't know any scripture, but you look for this chapter, okay? To the Gospel of Luke specifically, and this chapter. You will see how at the beginning of this chapter, what Christ does, He taught His disciples, He says, now you go, 
and see what you can do. He sent them up. And this disciples, this human being like you and me, there's not anything special about them that is not about us. Okay? Just the simple people. So he sent them up. And they do marvelous things. They preach the gospel. Okay? They heal people. You know, they cast out demons. Do everything that Christ promised them to do. And they come back. And they share this great story with Christ. Like, they're so excited. Like, wow! They could experience everything. They were powerful people at this time. And then after this thing, people that they preach to, they follow. They follow them. They gather together, they come 5,000 people. 5,000 people hungry for the word of God. Follow the 12 disciples. 5,000 people. Jesus miraculously fed them. Miraculously fed 5,000 people. The disciples watch and observe everything that's happening along the way. They see they're happy. They're excited. And then after this, few of them experience transfiguration. What a peek into the kingdom. How would you behave if you had something like that? If you had some power like this? How would you behave? Let's say we go on the street, just cross the ferry. We go to some of the restaurants. We go to some of the hospitals. Sick people. We heal them. We'll be on the news. Everybody would know about this. How would that make you feel? Wouldn't you be proud? Say like, wow! I was on CBC News tonight. The first story, my name was named, well, my, my name was mentioned there. That's how, exactly how they behave after this. So Christ said, "The lesson is not over yet." So we see pride in this young child, and you will see. I will show you the progression of the sin of pride when it scrapes in into the body of Christ slowly. Show you how it starts. I will show you the end the results of that. Not mine, but just what is in the Bible. And it's amazing when you look at the spots. It's amazing. Lesson number one. If you take notes, lesson number one. Pride ruins unity and destroys relationship. Nine, chapter nine and verse forty-six. Right there, seeing everything. Experience all the power from mighty God. Verse 46. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. Be good at it, right? Be good at this. Oh, I'm a better Christian. So I obey this command better than you do. I can do this thing better than you can do. I have more knowledge of the Bible than you can do. Be good at it. I think, you know, I should be, I should be one of them. If not the greatest, then should be maybe second, maybe third. Right? And if I'm second and third, then all of you should open the door for me, should, you know, carry my back maybe, you know, give me a nice hug, you should be the first one to say hello. Have you experienced things like that in the past? Absolutely. The first sign how pride can destroy a church ruins the relationship. Because you one in your group, you have a one prideful person, slowly, it's going to ruin and destroy the entire group. If I'm checked. If I'm checked. See, all these people, what they have to do? Just work as a group. Just work as a team. Christ never, Christ never told them that, you know, you Peter, you number one, and you John, you number two, and you so on and on and on. He never told them that. Just, just go. Two by two. You go here, you go here, it doesn't matter where you go. Just go and preach the message. But they are but they argue who is the greatest. And hold your place here. Hold your place here and just go to Luke chapter 22. 
Luke chapter 22. Can you imagine that Passover night? Christ is about to be betrayed. And verse 24. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And we know from John Gospels, when Christ was so fed with this, he took his garment, he got on his knee, he had a basin and towel, and he started washing the disciples' feet at this time. Because they were still arguing who was the greatest among them. And Jesus said to them, and he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. Point number two. Pride desires superiority over others. You see how it's progressing slowly? When you have prideful people in our midst. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Hold your place here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Pride always elevates itself. Pride always converts itself to others. I can do this thing, you can. I'm able to do this thing, and you can. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look what the Corinthians church, what they were good at doing. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Paul is writing to them back, he says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who compare themselves. What he's saying here. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. If you want to compare yourself with somebody, compare yourself to Jesus Christ. If you start comparing yourself to Jesus Christ, you will see how your character is so defective that we go on your knees and say, Father, forgive me. I don't want to compare myself to other people. I would rather compare myself to you and I know how insufficient I am when it comes to comparing myself to your Christ. You see, brethren, the difference? And you know, and it's so unfortunate for young people because we live in society that is the totally opposite. You know, the sport figures, you know, the performance, the actors, they want to be the best, they want to be at the top, they're making millions of dollars. They influence our society, the way how we live. Everyone wants to become just like them. But it's so wrong. You look chapter 9. Jesus responds to that. Verse 47. And Jesus perceiving the thoughts of their heart. He's not just seeing them, okay? Because they do it behind his back. Jesus Christ can read your mind, okay? Have you ever thought about it? Maybe I come nicely dressed at church and say, Hey, brother, how are you? How good? But I go home or, you know, I might say to my wife, you know, Did you see Brother Edge and what he did today? Did you see what I mean? We sometimes forget that God can read our mind. God can read our hearts. We can judge by action. God can judge by what's in our hearts, what's in our thoughts. So he said here, perceiving the thoughts of their heart, he took a little child and set, set him by him. And he said to them, whoever received the little child, but just, write, just stop there for a moment. 
Why little child? And there are many, many stories I heard. Why Christ chose a little child? And there are, I'm not saying that one is right over the other. But I'll tell you my personal belief. Why a little child? Back then, little children, especially at the early age, they were considered in society as nothing. Most of them didn't even survive to become a teenager. The price for a slave child was very long. Nobody wanted slave children at young age. They were just a liability. So Christ was the little child. And he put among them. And he says, every single one of you thinks that this child is nothing. No education. No accomplishments. Nothing can be proud of. Nothing that can be boastful of what I did or what I, you know, what I accomplished. Nothing. And he says, what I want you to do is just become one of them. Because if your heart becomes as a want of this little child, there is, I can do something. I can come in, and I can shake, and I can mold your heart. Because if you pride if you pride to God, how smart you are, how intelligent you are, and what you do, what you can do for God, God doesn't want people like that. Because eventually this thing, this person, this pride, will creep in and destroy the whole church. So that's what it is. Point number three. I would slowly progress it, right? Point number three. Pride rejects God. That's what happened. Verse 48. Whoever receives the little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. If you are a prideful person, if you think that you're better than, you know, me or somebody else, for a prideful person, if you have this in your heart, it will be very difficult if somebody walks in, or somebody in your church, who maybe might not know the same thing, who maybe not does as perfect as you are perfect, it will be very difficult for you to see in this person or in that person, Christ. Christ say, if you look at this child, you look at Christ, you look at God. How many people were hurt in a church? Baptized people. People who are members of the church. By other brethren who are trying to compare each other with each other. And trying to judge each other by each other. When Christ says, don't do that. When you see other believers in Christ, just treat him like me. You see the difference? If you see Jesus in me, not Jen, okay? Not Jen. If you see Jesus in me, you would never ever say anything bad about me because you would never ever say anything bad about Christ. But our mouths can do miracles. We can talk about our people for ages and we have not We forget that the same people are in the church. They may be believers like you and you, like you and me. That's the whole story, that's the whole difference. And you know, you can remember this story from Corinthians. But actually, we'll go to it a little bit later. Okay, point number four. Pride reverse reality. What I mean by that? Who is the greatest? We think in our society, who is the greatest? The people who are at the top. God's way is totally opposite. Christ says, you want to be the greatest? 
You want to be the first one? No, you'll be the last one. You want to be at the top and giving the orders? No, you come at the bottom and serve everybody. Encourage your brethren through wonderful examples that you get, you know, that you're setting for other people. So that's what the difference is. And, you know, the perfect example, you don't have to go there. But, you know, when you read the, the first chapter of Corinthians, when Paul started writing to the Corinthians, and he, and he tells them, he says, when God calls you, when God calls you to the church at first, he tells them, not many of you were noble, not many of you were smart, not many of you were so accomplished people. Now just look at you, what happened to you? You argue, you fight, you know, you bitter against one another, you hate one another, you go to the court, you do all this thing, all this sinful behavior. Why? Brethren, because of pride. All because of pride. Point number five. Pride will make you exclusive. Pride people think that, you know, word revolve around them. I'm the big banana. I'm the big kahuna. And everybody's supposed to serve me. I give the orders, I give the commands, and look what I do. I give my money all over the place. They should be happy to serve me. I'm the big man. But, do we see ever any example in the Bible that Christ would ever say something like that? Never, ever. Look at, look at uh, John, uh, John, Luke, verse 49, chapter 9, verse 49. And then the story, the same thing happened back, right then. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow with us. Ah, he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him. For he, for, for, for he who is not against us is on our side. And sometimes we forget. And it's so unfortunate that today's society, we still have churches who say that a church of God will say that they own an exclusive one. We own it to one. You know, we have apostles, we have prophets. We're the only one church. If you don't belong to our church, if you don't belong to our organization, God will not, will have nothing to do with you. See how this destructive it can be. And you know, this thing is in the Bible because it's in our society. Because of this one sin that we call, this calls, because it is here because of pride. And you know, in the church, I remember in my life in church, you know, I heard from people like, you know, I know, I know, Jen, you're not up here, there. that's okay. I'll pray for you, that God will give you enough wisdom. You know, I'll pray for you that one day you'll be at my level. And I'm being like, what? Why are you telling me this? Just pray for me. I appreciate your prayer, but you have to mention how high you are, you know, in whatever you are. Just keep it to yourself. And it's so unfortunate. And Christ is saying here, don't worry about that. Let them do what they do. You worry about what you are supposed to do. What you know, what I gave you orders to do. Just do exactly what I'm asking you to do. Like Pastor Morris said, a piece of trumpet. We have the marching orders. Don't worry about the rest of society. Just do it. Even if just one of us is slapped, or two of us, we'll stick to the fight. It takes to the end. The commanding officer is going to come over and says, you're the least of your duty. Well done, my good soldier. So brethren, point number six. Pride restrains mercy. 
And we can find this thing. Right in verse 51. It says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to, pre- to prepare for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And verse 54, that's the disciples, okay? We're ready to go. I'm just joking, quotations, ready to go. In verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, showed this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? You see what a zeal, what a passion to destroy people? But Jesus said, rebuked them, he said. He turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy man's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Why is that important? Because we have the same role to play. And Christ, and Christ told us, if somebody is not receiving you, shake your feet and just go somewhere else. If there's persecution in one town, go to the other town. Don't try to find something that you're not supposed to do. And this disciple, where did they get all this idea? No wonder they were called the sons of Thomas. They were ready to destroy the entire village. They were so proud. And I remember uh, in Midland, two years back, Brother Agent did a sermon. And he said that if we don't have this humility, and if God gives this immense power, we would just, over time, we just kill one another. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. He says, I give you this power. You have authority to use my power. I can't kill these people. That's not your job to do this thing. You come to save these people. And you know what is so amazing? When you go to the, you don't have to go to, but you, on your own reading, just go, go to the book of Acts. I believe it's chapter 8. Way later, okay? Way later. Decades later. It's amazing how the Samaritans accepted Jesus Christ. And maybe the same village that the refused Christ back then, maybe the same village accepted Jesus Christ just a few decades later. It's an amazing story when you, when, you, when, you, when you look at this, when you read this thing. So, brother, we are the same mission. We are not here to condemn other people. We are not here to condemn other countries, other organizations. Let them do whatever they want to do. We are here to preach the gospel. We are here to live the, to live the way that Christ lived, as an example. And we have everything. We have all the commandments. We have all the knowledge coming from this book. Why spend all this time and worry trying to compare one another with some other groups or other organizations, some other brothers and sisters, when we should just move forward all the time? So, many people try to preach the gospel. And many do preach the gospel. Many churches of God preach the gospel. But you will notice that many of them lack the humility and love in their message. They just preach all, but without love. And we're supposed to preach it with love and compassion for other human beings. So, we are on the mission, and this mission is nowhere stated in the Bible that it's going to be easy. It's a difficult mission. We may live just on rice or coconut. We may live on, like you know, we are blessed here in North America. And we have everything, whatever we need. We complain about some stuff. That people in Africa or Asia would be happy to have. We don't go to church because it's raining. And we have the means of transportation to get to the church. We complain because we don't want to go to the feast summer because we have to drive for an hour and a half. 
when people back then would walk for weeks just to get to Jerusalem. For weeks. So you can imagine. To make your arrangement and plan. It takes you a week, maybe a week and a half. It depends where you're coming from. If you're coming from the most northern point or the most southern point to Jerusalem, it would take you ten days to get there. It would take you. If you come to the whole, you know, fall festival, starting from the Feast of Trumpets, it will take you two weeks just for the feast alone. And then another ten days to come back. And here, in North America, we go to the teach. We can't even stay on the last great day because we have to go to work tomorrow. And what happens if we don't go to work tomorrow? Oh, we may lose $1,500 of our paycheck. If we don't have $100 of our paycheck, it can be a disaster at the end of the month. So on one hand, we're supposed to be the most blessed people. And on the other hand, as much as we have all these great things around us, we don't have anything. North America is in their debts up to here, up to their ears. And that's, I think, it's got punishment over its own people, and they don't even realize it. That's how it is. So, right, right at the end, in the conclusion, it is very difficult to be humble in this crazy world. I understand that problem in my life. It's very difficult. But we know that with God's help, and Christ's instructions, and we can see how we work with his disciples, we know how to overcome and be a better people and be a better Christians. And just to recap what we said, because in this little church of ours here, is what a wonderful blessing is to have this congregation here in Bologna. If, if we don't pay attention to prideful people, if we don't check our pride in us. Pride over time will destroy this unity of this group. Will destroy some of the relationships that we have with one another. Over the time, this pride, this unity, will force some people to be superior over others. You know, I'm your boss. I will tell you what to do. Over time, won't be able even to see other Christians that Christ maybe is in their heart too. Over time, this pride will reverse the reality in our minds. Who is the greatest? What's the least? Who is the most? That's what's going to happen. At the end, we'll be the only church, exclusive church of pride for people. And then in the end, we'll even have a, nothing in our hearts to find mercy for other people. How would you describe Christ's life when he was on this earth? How would you describe it? Was he a prideful person? On every single occasion that we had, he always tried to help the other people. Men, women, children, he always, he always treated everybody equal. Not who he was, but the person, the example that he set for us. And when you study the story and you see how this disciple, how come they never could get it? But I can easily put myself, in, put myself in Peter's shoes. And I would act the same, exactly in the same manner how, how he did. But I can see the transformation in his life 
over the decades, when Christ, Christ died, after the resurrection, if you go to First Peter chapter 5, it is such a blessing to read passages like this from the scriptures, and I can say like, Father, if you were able to perform such a major surgery of Peter and change his heart, I am sure that one day, Father in heaven will be able to change my heart, will be able to change your heart, and will become like Peter, will become like Paul. And First Peter, my closing scripture today, First Peter chapter 5. Let me close with this scripture. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. I'm in the wrong scripture. First Peter chapter 5 and in verse 6 he says <clears throat> therefore look how he writes to the brethren therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time casting all you care upon him for he cares for you wouldn't you see the difference in Peter's life back then and now when he's writing his letter? Humble yourself. And he says, but under the mighty hand of the God, no one else, mighty hand of God. And he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We are not alone. There are many brethren all over the place who suffer for this gospel. And it shouldn't be a shock, it shouldn't be a surprise. We should be blessed, we should be dancing here when we sing to God. As you know, the facility that we have, the children we have, and all the blessings that we have. We have more than any, all the other people in the whole world combined. And many times we come to church grumpy. We come to church to complain. We come to church to just point other people's weaknesses and shortfalls instead of uplifting one another. Praising God. And praising together, you know, in joy. So brethren, I hope that this message, you know, I decided to speak about humility because I heard this wonderful message from Pastor Murray. And going to the piece of tabernacle through some years now. And probably you experienced too going to the Peace of Tabernacle. How God's people, how they can behave in this holy time. And when you look at some of the things that are happening, you shake your hands and thinking like, are we supposed to be the holy people, the cold ones by God? And you see what's happening there. So brethren, wherever you go this year, wherever you're going to celebrate this wonderful festival, Think about humility. Think about what Christ did for you. How he handles all this difficult time and never even once complain about it. When you go to your peace side, just live the way like Christ did. And remember, he will give you grace and he will give you more than you desire in your heart. May God be with you. Amen. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.